Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East Soccer or Mid-East Soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Ali Issa Ahmed is a British football fan. He was lingering earlier this year in jail in the United Arab Emirates for wearing a guttery soccer jersey during the Asian Cup that Qatar won. Mr. Ahmad potentially could have been sentenced to years in prison for supporting the wrong team in the eyes of the UAE. He was ultimately released after several days as the UAE sought to avoid the reputational damage his prosecution would have entailed. Mr. Ahmad's predicament suggested that the UAE stopping Qatari fans from attending recent Asian Cup matches and banning expressions of support for its nemesis because of the rift in the Gulf that has pitted the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and Bahrain against Qatar is about more than political rivalries between states determined to shape the region in their mold. Mr. Ahmed's plight is part of a region-wide effort to ensure that soccer fans who played major roles in recent Middle East history don't get another opportunity. Milton soccer fans were central in the 2011 popular Arab revolts that toppled the leaders of Tunisia, Egypt, Libya, and Yemen. They constituted the backbone of initial resistance to the military regime that in 2013 overthrew Mohamed Morsi, Egypt's first and only democratically elected leader. And they led the 2013 Gezi Park anti-government protests in Turkey and beyond the Middle East, the 2014 anti-government demonstrations in Ukraine. The effort to control fans takes on added relevance with mass protests in the greater Middle East, occurring in Sudan, Algeria, and Jordan, while Kazakh President Nur Sultan Nazarbayev recently replaced his cabinet in a bid to halt mounting social unrest. The effort takes various forms, ranging from banning support in the Gulf for a team to brutal repression and the closure to the public of most domestic matches in Egypt since the 2011 revolt, to attempts in Turkey to politically control all fan activity. Like in Turkey, those fans admitted into Egyptian stadia in limited numbers are first politically vetted to ensure that they don't turn the pitch into a protest venue. The effort has succeeded to some extent, even if legal measures to ban militant fan groups in Egypt and Turkey failed. The return to stadia of some fans in Egypt suggests that the government feels it has gained the upper hand. The Egyptian regime has specific issues with fans organizing collectively for football. So if these fans can be de depoliticized, they can return to stadiums. This is the real political motivation for allowing fans back into the stadium, the belief that they have successfully depoliticized the game said Ziad Akel, an analyst with the Cairo-based Ahram Center for Political and Strategic Studies. 
the proof is in the pudding. Indications are it hasn't persuaded militant fans who, although a minority, were the heartbeat of Egyptian fandom. I haven't been to matches for years, and I'm certainly not going to start now. I'm not stupid enough to give the security services my address, where I work, and my full name. I don't mind doing this to vote or to get a national ID card, but I won't do this for a football match, said a member of a Cairo's a Cairo Ultras group. He was echoing the response of Turkish fans to government efforts to force identification of fans through an electronic ticket system. The Ultras message was that militant soccer fans may be down, but they are not out, and that Egyptian general turned president Abdel Fattah al-Sisi will have to get a grip on simmering discontent by addressing widespread social and economic discontent, rather than relying primarily on brutal repression. To be sure, the differences between 2011 and 2019 couldn't be starker. Mr. al-Sisi presides over the worst repression in recent Egyptian history that has targeted even the slightest form of dissent making toppled leader Hosni Mubarak's rule look relatively benign. Nonetheless, militant soccer fans pose enough of a continued threat to prevent the government from fully lifting the ban on spectators attending soccer matches that has been in place for much of the last eight years. The government recently agreed to allow a meager 5,000 fans per match. The ban was initially imposed when the popular revolt erupted in 2011, but was lifted once Mr. Mubarak was forced to resign after 30 years in office. It was reintroduced and has been in force uninterrupted since February 2012, when 72 supporters of storied Cairo Club Al-Akhli were killed in a stampede in a Port Said stadium in what many believe was an attempt by the military and law enforcement to cut the ultras down to size that got out of hand. No one is excited that the fans are back. People went to the stadiums because of the atmosphere created by ultras. Egyptian football has died with the banning of ultras, said one of the founding members of Ultras White Knights the militant support group of Al-Akhli arch-rival Al-Zamalek. Among Egypt's estimated 60,000 political prisoners are scores of militant supporters of soccer clubs who were not only prominent in the 2011 uprising, but also in subsequent anti-government demonstrations. The student protest against Mr. Al-Sisi's coup that turned the country's universities into security fortresses were brutally squashed by law enforcement forces, abetted by the adoption of a draconic anti-protest law, tight control of the media, and a crackdown on non-governmental organizations. The ultra-white knights and their al-Akhli counterpart, Ultras Akhlawi, officially dissolved themselves in 2018 in a bid to ensure the safety of their members. 
with continued ultra-white nights activity on social media, where both groups have huge followings, the dissolution was widely seen as tactical and a sign of goodwill. We are tired of going around police stations and prisons looking for our comrades. We want things to quiet down with the government, see that the detainees go free and the crackdown end said former Ultras leader Mohammed Sahil. The Ultras are desperate and don't see a bright future. They hope for a reconciliation with the regime to get their fellow members out of prison, added journalist and soccer fan Mahmoud Mustafa. The decision to dissolve came in the wake of a statement by the Ultras that appealed to Mr. al-Sisi to initiate a dialogue between the fans and police to iron out their differences. They called for the pardoning of detained militant fans. The peace offering was a far cry from the ultras heyday. To the founders of various groups of ultras in Egypt and elsewhere in the Middle East, the battle for the stadia in the years prior to the 2011 revolts constituted a struggle for public space in a country governed by a regime that tolerated no uncontrolled public spaces. The ultras constituted the only group that was willing to not only challenge government control of public space, but also to put their lives on the line in staking their claim. They derived their title to the stadium from their analysis of the power structure of the sport that positioned ultras as the only true supporters of the club, as opposed to a corrupt management that was a pawn of the regime, and players who were mercenaries who played for the highest bidder. That was what attracted thousands of young, undereducated, and uh, or underemployed men who joined the ranks of the ultras because the fans were the only organized group that persistently and physically stood up to corrupt and brutal security forces who made their lives difficult in the stadia, as well as in the neighborhoods where they live. Members of the ultras and people close to them caution that the al-Sisi government's apparent success in whipping the ultras into sub submission may be temporary. Many believe that nothing will happen Standing up to the regime amounts to suicide. The question is how long that perception will last. Things will eventually burst. When and where, nobody knows. But the writing is on the wall, said a source close to the ultras. Added a founder of one of Egypt's original ultras groups, this is a new generation. It's a generation that can't be controlled. They don't read. They believe in action and experience. They have balls. When the opportunity arises, they will do something bigger than we ever did. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer at middeastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.